You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Sunday Skate on Sports Radio WEEI. For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and the NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. Yeah. Yeah. With Ken Laird. A bunch of criminals. We ought to be in jail. That's all there is to it. And WEEI.com Bruins writer Matt Kalman. He's a killer. Yeah. Yeah. He's a mess. Lace him up for some bees talk right now on Sports Radio WEEI. Another week added here on the Skate Podcast, Ken Laird, and joined on the phone because he's headed to Parts Unknown. He's got a little time off coming. Matt Kalman from WEI.com. Matty, hello. Yeah, how's it going? Pretty good. And uh, the bulk of today's podcast is our chat from uh, late last week with TSN's Craig Button, who is one of the best in the business. We'll be getting to that coming up. I thought Button was excellent, by the way. Really enjoyed this chat. Yeah, he was great. And obviously, it works out in his in our favor that uh, nothing has changed in the world of hockey since we <laughs> spoke to him. Uh, we touched on the RFAs, of course, and they're all still sitting around doing nothing. For the most part, they are. And by the way, the Skate Pod continuing to surge on Twitter. Our followers at the Skate Pod up to 880. So if you know a friend that likes uh, some hockey talk in the offseason, we feel like we've got some good hockey talk for you. Give us a follow. Give us a rating on iTunes. Follow us. All that happy stuff. We appreciate the support and the interaction. Uh, Calvin is busy on there interacting with the folks, including one good question that I will bring up here in just a moment. Uh, before we get to Craig Button, you mentioned the RFAs. Don Sweeney did have a Q&A session at Bruins Fan Fest and gave a bit of an update on Charlie McAvoy and Brandon Carlo. Matt, what did you make of? Here's the quote. Mm-hmm. As you know, our plan has been to grow, develop, and incorporate young players into a very special group of core players. I think you guys all know who they are, hopefully grow into the next special group of core players. We believe both Charlie and Brandon will be part of that group. We've got some work to do. I'm not going to tell you that I don't have a lot to do in that regard to close gaps, but at some point in time, we've got to find a landing spot, and they're going to be with the Boston Bruins for a long time, end quote. And that was, I guess I should, you know, bury the lead. He opened it by saying, I, I, I will emphatically tell you that our RFA guys, be it Brandon Carlo or Charlie McAvoy, they are going to be Bruins for a long time. So it's a flat guarantee. Now, they don't have much in, the ter- in, in terms of rights, as we've uh, discussed. You know, McAvoy can't sign an offer sheet. Right. Uh, but f- do you take it as positive, negative, or nothing? Yeah, I take it as positive, just the fact that, uh and I think we also saw some comments last week come out from uh, Charlie McAvoy's agent. It sounds like they're, uh, you know, they're having amicable negotiations here, and we know the Bruins aren't in, the, in their own uh, boat here. Obviously, everybody's got a couple of guys sitting out, at least a lot of the good teams. And uh, so, you know, I think it just it just goes to show you, though, that don't expect this to be done by uh, next Friday or the Friday after when camp opens or, you know, even in the middle of camp. This could uh, drag on, possibly even into the season, clearly, a lot of agents and players have a lot different opinions of where they should be seated at this point than uh, the teams do, and 
it sounds like uh, they're all far far apart here. Yeah, I do believe that the ball will start rolling and then we'll get some progress, right? There are some other guys that are going to set parameters for what McAvoy and uh, and Carlo yeah. make. Uh, you would think so. It's just, uh, you know, you got to wonder, too. I mean, obviously, to me, it sounds like long-term deals are off the table here just because the players aren't going to want to lock in. Yep. To uh, what, regardless of what, uh, unless the, the teams decide to give in to some ridiculous average annual value, so um, it's just going to come down to how short is the deal. Is it going to be a two or three year deal, or maybe these guys take one year deals and then they re up again next year when the Bruins have more cap space? And you know, clearly in Carlo McAvoy's case, that would mean looking to see what happens with Tory Krug and whether he's still here. And it's uh, it's dicey, and you know, when, especially when you're talking about the, the guys who's going to set the market. I mean, the one that we're all waiting for is Marner, right? But they don't have any cap space to do a Marner deal, so yeah. the way it should be done. So you just wonder how long that's going to take. And you know, not to get again boring into the CBA, but that keeps yeah. coming up. You know that that is hanging out there is a possibility of labor strife, and the players right. bitch the most about escrow having to put money into an escrow uh, to help uh, protect themselves for fluctuating cap stuff. I mean. Not to get, you know, it's minutia, but it is a reality of yeah. you know NHL agents and players. They're waiting for sure to get the most. You, you, you know, these guys don't know. I mean, if they lock into a, a deal, I mean, they keep talking about you keep talking about Nathan McKinnon and what a great deal he signed. Well, let's face it, if Nathan McKinnon was an RFA or, or UFA now, he wouldn't be signing that deal. At, right. at the time, it looked like a reasonable deal, but he was still getting you know pay commensurate to what he is. Um, these guys want to get paid what they are, and they know that they've seen these guys make mistakes locking into these longer-term deals. I mean, we can all commend the McKinnons and the Sidney Crosbys of the world, but that doesn't make it right that they're that they've decided to that they end up taking less for a longer term. I mean, these guys don't want to get caught looking dumb four or five years from now when guys who aren't as good are making more money than them, and uh, you can't blame them. And like you said, the CBA. Whether it's the escrow or just what the cap will look like and how much it'll increase, you can't uh, you can't really know based on what might happen with the next CBA. Now, uh, one other question directed to Don Sweeney uh, at the uh, Fan Fest was about Charlie Coyle, whether he presents more value as a third line uh, center or a top six winger. So here's what Sweeney answered, and he mentioned our guy from last week, Zach Senishin, in this answer. I think that stood out to me. I don't know about you. He uh-huh. said maybe that's dictated by who the next guy is. Pick one. Senishin, Kuhlman on the wing, Brett Ritchie on the wing. Then you look at the Trent Fredericks of the world. Who is ready to take advantage of it? So right. uh, strike you as a real possibility that Senishin could uh, could win a spot this year. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously going to talk him up. I mean, it's his first-round pick, and uh, they've, they've invested a lot of time and uh, development into him, so clearly he's going to be in the mix. And, you know, as, as far as Charlie Coyle, I think we've uh, gone over that before. I, I'm all for him being a top-six wing if uh, they have the right depth at center, and between uh, you know Frederick, as he mentioned, but also Stadnicka coming in, and then Par Lindholm uh, can play center. If you have, and, and then you have Corrali. If you have enough centers down the middle and third and fourth lines, uh, why not put Coyle up there as a power forward on uh, one of those top two wings, and maybe even do it with Bergeron and Marchand. He, he's a two-way player; he can protect the puck, and then maybe finally you get that Pasternak-Krejci uh, combination going and, and give it a real shot. Uh, don't do a Bruce Cassidy change a game and a half into the Switch. <laughs> you were correct. And you mentioned Lindholm. That was uh, finally to wrap up the Sweeney Q&A stuff. Yeah. He was asked about Lindholm and where his impact might be, and he got into talking about taking some minutes away from Patrice or from Brad, sure. starting players in the defensive zone and allowing our better offensive players to start in the O zone to get better matchups. And it sounds like he feels like Lindholm will be one of those guys with Corrali that they've uh, you know been able to procure to be able to be 
really good, solid defensive players and, ju- and do just that, take away minutes and keep those guys yeah. pressured. Well, we saw a lot of that last year. I mean, I'm not sure what the, how the numbers broke down in the end, but we know just from the eyeball test in the playoffs especially, but down the stretch, how much the Corrali line was counted on to play against top lines and to start in the defensive zone. And we saw uh, how that you know has benefited uh, the Bergeron line. That's clearly it's clearly benefited Bergeron the last two or three years. Here he is, you know, approaching his mid thirties and putting up record offensive numbers for him. It's because he's not uh, burdened with so much responsibility as he was maybe in in his prime and when uh, you know when the Bruins were on top and he was the number one center. So um, yeah, that's what they that's what they do. They scout these guys to find the ones that they can trust to not play big minutes, but to play important minutes and, and take some of the the weight off. And that's how you free up those guys to do some scoring. Here was a question from uh, Patrick Laverty uh, at the skate pod. I think it's an interesting one. He said, listening on XM NHL radio, they suggested Winnipeg could be open to moving Patrick Line for help on D. And the Bruins, of course, have some depth there. And Krug, would they be a match in terms of a trade? What do you think about that? The Line situation, obviously, Winnipeg's got some yeah. cap issues, but he's a hell of a scorer. At least, he, I mean... Had a bit of a down year, I guess. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm so mixed on line A. I mean, you look at the numbers and you look at the skill and, and what he did, especially when he first came into the league. I've always, you know, clearly if you can get a guy who can score 40 a year, you would do it. Uh, the, you know, I don't get to watch a lot of Winnipeg games. And from what you read, it, there's a lot of questions about his two-way game and his responsibility and maybe even some of his effort level on, at times. And a lot of times you don't know if that's warranted or it's just uh, – you know, Canadian media making stuff up. So, <laughs> um, but you know, clearly they would probably not help the Bruins cap wise. That's the problem because you know, obviously, if right. he if he was willing to sign a reasonable bridge deal at this point, he'd be a Winnipeg Jet. Um, if he's coming to Boston and he's still looking for the same thing, and then he's, you're mixing him in with McAvoy, Carlo, and then what you do with DeBrusque. So it would be hard cap wise, and you know, sure they would definitely be a match. I mean, the Bruins certainly have the depth on D. I mean, I'm not sure. They're going to part with Tory Krug at this point, but even a Matt Grizzlick might interest the um, the Jets in some way. I'm not sure what the Jets' mindset is right now. Whether they're going to be a, a seller at this point, or some sort of do they think they're going to still contend despite all their cap troubles? It's it's interesting to think about. I mean, clearly, you know, if, if Line is not going to sign the bridge deal, they might be moving him, and uh, teams would probably have to take that risk of whether or not uh, he can find his scoring touch and still play, you know, a, a two way game. What a blockbuster that would be. Uh... <laughs> he was down, he was down from uh, forty four goals to thirty this past year, so that's that's a good right. year for him. He's still a hell of a yeah, and I guess player. I think a lot of that's power play, and a lot of that is in a, in a short spurts of game, like he had like a big spurt of games where he scored a lot of those goals. So wasn't a, a good season from start to finish, and we know the Bruins shy away from these inconsistent guys, especially when when they're going to pay, pay have to pay them big money. All right, and finally, before we get to Craig Button, the NHL Network goalie list is out. You are a, a passionate goalie man. Uh, oh, yeah. More so than anybody that made the top ten, uh, you were just celebrating Frederick Anderson's absence on the list. <laughs> exactly. Um, Can you believe that? Can you believe that that ha- they aren't rioting in Toronto because they didn't put Freddie Anderson in the top ten? <laughs> uh, the number ten, uh, number top five are uh, Vasilevsky, Bobrovsky, Ben Bishop, Carey Price, and Tuca. Tuca gets yep. some respect, followed by Flurry, Holtby, Bennington, Rene, and John Gibson. Got any qualms or? Uh, no, I think the only maybe. The only one overlooked maybe was Robin Leonard, and uh, you know clearly he had his troubles before last year, and then came through and was uh, a Vezina finalist and you know second in league and save percentage. So you could have seen him in there. Um, you know, Biddington clearly making it on one half of a year is kind of a stretch, but 
you'd rather see them stretch to put a Bennington in there than to stretch to put a Freddie Anderson in there. So that's, yeah. that's a good sign. The only the only things that jumped out to me were okay, Jonathan Quick is totally off the map. Yeah, um, Hellebuck was getting a lot of praise at one point. So was Martin Jones for that matter until he had some right. struggles. Yeah, those guys had terrible years last year, and you know Ben Bishop clearly. You know, there's some analytic people telling you that. A lot of what he's doing is smoke and mirrors, so we'll see how that responds. And then, obviously, the Bobrovsky thing, we'll find out how, uh, we'll really find out how good a goalie he is. And now he's playing in front of that Panther defense instead of behind the Panther defense instead of uh, Columbus, you know, with John Tortorella making everybody block shots and with Wierenski and Jones back there. Well, we'll see how he handles, you know, a defense led by uh, Keith Yandel. <laughs> yep. And the only other couple names I thought were Dubnik, who's been pretty solid. He's not sure. regarded as like a dynamic, but he's there every year in the leaders. Matt Murray and Varlamov a little bit. That's a pretty good list. And uh, the two big money guys are there, one and two in the division. So, uh, interesting. Get the four of the top five are from the division. So Right. Get that chip on Tuba's shoulder. Tell you something about this division. <laughs> All right. We'll catch up in studio next week, and we have our sit-down with Craig Button. You want to f- uh, frame our discussion with Craig before we throw to it here? Yeah, it was great. I thought we we really touched on everything. We touched on the prospect pool. Obviously, everyone wants to hear about John Beecher. Uh, we talked about a few other guys and uh, just what he thinks of the Bruins standing pat coming back after losing Game 7 and also just um, what he thinks is going to happen with uh, McAvoy and Carlo. And like I said, good thing nothing changed. <laughs> Our special guest this week, Matt, is uh, Craig Button, TSN Everything analyst, pro analyst. I think of him lately as a uh, like a scout, uh, ex- yeah. you know, s- scouting expert, yeah, and scouting I director. I, we were just saying I haven't met him personally. I don't think, but I feel like I've, I know him because he's on my television all year round. Yeah, he is, including in the in the summertime and even in downtimes. Craig Button joining us here on the Skate Pod on WEI. Hi, Craig. How are you? I am good. Well, you know, it all depends on the time of the year. When it's when it's the NHL playoffs, you're focused in on the NHL. When it's a draft, you're in on the prospects. And, yep. You know, over the course of other parts of the season, you just got to kind of dial into what's happening at that particular point in time. So, uh, I got I got a real opportunity to to do a lot of different things, which works perfectly for my personality. I like to have a variety of things to do. Yeah, I was just wondering, how do you manage to be up on everything? Because <laughs> it's it's amazing. You go straight from the playoffs to the draft, and you and you know, I watch you at the draft, and every kid gets his name comes up, you know something about them. I mean, how do you know about everything? It's so hard to focus on. You know, you're not focusing on one thing no. like maybe I do. Yeah, well, I mean, it all, it all depends what you're tasked with. And, yeah. you, you know, one of the things with TSN and NBC with the draft is, is the draft, is the prospects, and trying to uh, evaluate, uh, you know, the prospect pool. So, you know, I see approximately 100 to 110 games in the prospect pool as part of my job. Wow. So, you know, whether that be the World Junior Tournament, the under-18, uh, the under-17, uh, various leagues, colleges, Europe, juniors, you know, like that's part of my job is just to watch those young players. So, you know, I, I, I get a really good opportunity to, to use my scouting expertise there. But then when I'm in the studio and you, you're watching the NHL games, you, you have to know what NHL teams are, are doing, you know, what their strengths are, where they're struggling. I do broadcast uh for uh, for the Montreal Canadiens, ten to twelve games a year. So you know, and the one thing we've all learned with the with the NHL is, is the individual fan bases really really know their team and they know them intimately. And if you're going to go start talking about those teams, whether it be their prospects, whether it be their present team, you better know what's going on because if you don't, you're going to be exposed really quickly. So 
you know, if I don't know something, I'll say I don't know, but that's not my job not to know either. So if I got to go talk about the Boston Bruins, I, I better understand why their power play isn't working. So I might have to go and dive into their previous four games and go through their power play shifts or why are they getting scored upon or why are they having success? And, you know, the, the, that's what you have to do because uh, the investment of time is really important because of the passion of the fans and the fan base of, of the, their desire to want to know. And, and they're right on top of things too. So I, again, I say it really works to my personality to, try to have a feel for everything that's going on and you know that's what works for me well let's start there then uh, you saw some john beecher uh, i'm sure leading up to his draft uh, picked by the bruins at 30th overall what do you think about beecher and what do the bruins get there well i think you got to go back in time a little bit with john for me and by that what i mean is he he goes into the national team development program and jack hughes is the number one center and alex turcott is the number two center Clearly top-end players. We, we know that. One went first, one went fifth overall. So there's no question about how talented and how gifted they are as players. But, you know, you also don't get the opportunity to be on the power play. Uh, in, in John Beecher's case, you, you, you know, you, you, you don't get those. Uh, you're not playing with the top primary uh, 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 wingers with respect to that. So when you put it all together, you know, John Beecher – you know, has a, to me has a lot of offensive upside and has a lot of ability given an expanded role offensively to be able to do that. And one of the things I really saw in John over the course of two years was he, he expanded his game and he pushed his game deeper and further. And I think that the offense is there. I'll give you an example. And, and it's a player that I watched when I was in Calgary. I traded for him. He became a really good player, Craig Conroy. He played at Northwood Prep in Lake Placid. He was a top offensive player. Went to Clarkson, top offensive player. Fredericton in the American League after being drafted by the Canadian, top offensive player. He got traded to St. Louis, and they needed him to be a third-line center. He was a really good defensive Selkie-type player. When we traded for him in, in Calgary, I had all that background of him being a really good offensive player with the added uh, bonus of him expanding his game defensively. He became a top-end, two-way center. So that's where I think John, John had the offense. He's going to get a greater opportunity at Michigan because that's the way they play there. And I think that he gained a lot of invaluable experience, not only playing with those players, but practicing against them. And I think there's a lot of offensive ability there for John Beecher. And, you know, when you, when you, when you're that great, and he's a great skater who has really learned how to utilize his size to an advantage I think for the Boston Bruins, you know, you start to think of where Bergeron and Krejci are at in, the, in, in, in their age curve. Uh, you know, John Beecher is just a, a player with so much potential. Yeah, that's that's a great comparison to bring up Craig Conroy. I mean, I'm sure the Bruins would take uh, Craig Conroy's career if that Beecher turns out to be. Do, do you think that that's a good philosophy for the Bruins, maybe especially picking as late as they did, where they took a kid that had these other tools and maybe the offense can come? Can Is it easier to, get, to catch up with the offense than it is with the other stuff? Well, you, you, you know, the easy thing to do is to go and just look at a stat line, right, mm-hmm. and say, okay, this is what the player produced. But, but when you watch a player over a continuum, and I was lucky. I, I watched John Beecher play midget hockey. So you mm-hmm. could see that he had this, you know, this really great skating ability, and he was able to generate more offense. But now you're going into a program where, where Jack Hughes is there and Alex Turcotte. Now, is that a negative in terms of point production? Perhaps, 
but, but, but it helps John round out his game. And I think when, when, if you take the continuum of evaluation and you understand where he came from, what he had to do, the situation he was in, I think for the Boston Bruins, it, it's terrific. I, I don't think it's much different than David Pasternak, who in his draft year ended up with a back injury. So, you know, if you want to go and evaluate just one tournament at the end of the season or a stretch down the, uh, the, the, down the last half of the season, you know, David was struggling with some, with some, with some injuries to his back. But if you go back and look at it further, for, 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 further backwards, tell you what, he was always a good offensive player. So you're sitting there, you're satisfied on the medical report on David. Look what's happened. I think that the same thing uh, can occur with John Beecher. And I think the teams and the Boston Bruins specifically, you're always looking to find those players that have the greatest upside and the greatest potential. And maybe some of it is untapped. Maybe some of it is circumstantial with respect to where John found himself at the national team development program. But in the draft at that point in time, I think at any point in time, but specifically try to find the player with the greatest potential. Craig, last week on the podcast, we had a Bruins prospect on Zach Senishin was, was our guest. And some of the stuff you're talking about Beecher, I know it's a different position now, but he brought up, you know, in two years in the AHL, he scored 12 goals and 14 goals. When he was in the OHL, he was scoring like crazy, but he's been asked to play a bottom six role. Um, what do you see in Senishin? Is there a guy that you're talking about, like situation that that's uh, this is tactical by the Bruins, or has he hit a wall now where he's not going to be able to score like he, he used to? Well, one of the things is, is you know, when you look at Zach, he, he, he's another terrific, terrific skater, and he, he's got that speed where you, you, you know you can threaten opponents and threaten defenders and get on them quickly and force turnovers. In junior hockey, you know you can skate past opponents. In the National Hockey League, unless your name's uh, Connor McDavid, you're not skating by anybody in the National Hockey League, certainly not on any type of regular basis. So you have to learn how to manage your skating. That's part of development. How, how do you use your skating uh, to, to, to create advantages, not only for yourself but for your team? And that's part of the development uh, sequence and, and with Zach and certainly with other players. Because you're drafting players that are top-end skaters that can uh, perform at the National League level and have shown a real – uh, you, you know, propensity to, to be successful uh, in junior or college or Europe or wherever you draft them from. So I, th- I don't think Zach is a, is a player that's going to be a 50-goal scorer in the National Hockey League, but, but I think with his skating and understanding how to use his skates, competitive, and, and understanding that, like, you know, how to protect the puck and then when to use his speed to, to back up a defender – that's part of development, and, and that's an important part of it. But, you know, Zach's a young player, and when you have those types of qualities in terms of skating and he's got some size and he's shown some ability to score, you know, I think that those are things you have to be really, really patient for, with because ultimately those are the types of players, and, and maybe he doesn't end up in a top six role, but maybe he ends up in a really good you know, what I call, you know, you know, the seven to, to, to nine role on your team, the eight to 10 role on your team, which becomes really important because maybe you can use that skating and that skill uh, to your advantage against better matchups when you're not playing against the other team's top defensemen. What in general, Craig, what do you think of the Bruins pipeline right now, their system? They're not ranked highly in terms of when you look at, uh, you know, so-called experts uh, prospect rankings. I don't, I don't know if you've come out with a, a ranking of your own, recently, but in general, past Stanika and Vakanainen, it falls off pretty sharply. Is that how you see it? 
Yeah, well, here's what I would say to you. When, when you start to look at the, at the Bruins, and, okay, so David Pasternak is a star in the National Hockey League, right? You know, Danton Heinen, who just signed, I mean, he was a fourth-round draft pick. I mean, they're trying to work in different players. Jake DeBrusque, who, 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 who has, I, I think, found his way. You know, let's not forget about Charlie McAvoy and Brandon Carlo, first and second-round picks that are really important to the future of the Boston Bruins. But it, it, it's easy to look at blue liners. So, you know, I, I just watched Axel Anderson play, mm-hmm. you know, like he's good with the puck. He, he's a right shot defenseman. Is, is, is he a top pair player? No, but he, he's a player that I think you, you need, you need one, two, three, four, five, six defensemen. The, the Bruins went through that in the playoffs as they went uh, through some injuries, you know, you're all Vakanainen. I don't think he's going to be a big offensive player, but he's, a, he's an excellent skater. He's a really good competitor and you need to get the puck out of your zone. So, so if I start to say you have McAvoy, you have Carlo, you have Krug, you have Vakaninen, you have uh, Axel Anderson who, 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 who's got a chance to develop, you know, everybody wants to be greedy, and, and have, but, but that's a pretty good start for any organization in my view. And so, you, you, you know, you continue to draft, you know, what, you know where's Jakob Zaboral going to find himself? I mean, he's another developmental player. You know, Wiley Sherman who played at – uh, Harvard, you know, where's he headed? I mean, th- th- those are players that are probably kind of in the middle. Are they going to make it with the Bruins? Are they not? And where do they fit? But, but y- y- you know, we, y- you, have, you have opportunities to add players. I, I think what you want to do is have as many players on the prospect shelf in the cupboard as possible. But, but I, I don't see the Bruins, you, you know, struggling in, in areas to add young players at different positions into the in, in, into their group. Yeah, sure. And don't you have to look also at the fact that you, you mentioned, you know, the McAvoy's, the Heinen's, the Carlos. They've already graduated from prospect status to players. And the fact that the Bruins are always, you know, except for the two years they didn't make the playoffs, they're always competitive. They're always drafting uh, pretty low in these rounds. And so they probably, well, if you grade on a curve, probably would, would move up in the rankings. Well, I mean, so so if you, I mean, that, that that's fine to grade on a curve, but also at the same time, you're competitive. Yeah, you, you're trying to remain competitive in the present day. You're trying to be patient with your young prospects. So you you put them in the minors. You you take time, and some players, you know, like a Brandon Carlo, develops sooner than a Jakob Zaboral. Sure. Okay, that that just means Brandon was a little bit capable. It doesn't mean Jakob Zaboral isn't going to do it. It just means that his path is a little bit longer. But uh, but when you can remain competitive and still have what I feel are good, solid prospects in, 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 in your pool, I mean, isn't that exactly where you want to be as an organization? And when I look at the Bruins and I, and I see where they're at, and that goes back to what we talked about earlier, you draft Pasternak 26 overall. You draft John Beecher later. I mean, this is where you're trying. Somebody will say, "Oh, geez, what a what, where? Do, how did they get John Beecher there? <laughs> well, how did they get David Pasternak there? There's always different reasons, but I, I think that wh- wh- where the Bruins find themselves is, is in a good is, is in a really good place. And uh, yeah, you'd like to have an A prospect pool and win the Stanley Cup every year. You know what? It's it, it goes year to year. And, and you have to manage it year to year and understand that there's a, a long-term picture. That's one of the things that Don Sweeney has to keep in mind. And then there's a the short term and, you know, you trade a Ryan Donato, you get a Charlie Coyle. Well, I'll tell you what, like, you know, Ryan's a good prospect, you know, but that was the decision they had to make to give their team a better chance to compete this year. I think with Jack Stadnitschke coming in, like I love Jack Stadnitschke. I think mm-hmm. he's going to fit in perfectly. You know, the way, not only to the Bruins lineup, but the way they play with speed and 
He's got a real edge of competitiveness to him. I mean, that's just one player, Trent Frederick. I mean, he's another player they drafted late in the first round, but he, but he's a big-time competitor. It might take him a little bit longer, but uh, I don't see any problem with the Bruins in terms of where they're at and trying to win today and uh, also trying to keep their future bright as well. Yeah, when you when you look at them trying to win today, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on just them basically bringing back the same team that went to Game 7 and lost? I mean, is, is it going to be more difficult because of that, or how do you see that? I don't know. I, I, I mean, they, they went through some. I mean, they went through some injuries last year. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this is a team that lost in Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Final, and 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 I think sometimes when you when you lose, you you start to go, okay, is it the right team? I mean, I I think the Bruins are one of six, seven, maybe eight teams that are capable of winning the Stanley Cup. And that hasn't changed from last year to this year for me. Because when you look at key areas to me that are really key to performance, goaltender, check, center ice, check. You start to look at, you know, scoring, check. Good defense, good defenseman, check. Now, they have to get Carlo and and McAvoy signed. I mean, that, that, that goes without saying. But this is a really, really good team that also has an ex- who I think I think Bruce Cassidy is an excellent coach. So I think that he he's not only able to maximize uh, the potential of the team, he, he gets players to play to the best of their abilities, and I think that becomes really incredibly important with respect to uh, how you compete and how you leave yourself in a position to be a really strong team. And I mean, nobody can say that Pasternak, Bergeron, and uh, and Marchant aren't still arguably the best line in hockey. You haven't lost that. You haven't lost some good defensemen, good goaltending. I see them as, like I said, one of the six, seven, eight teams more than capable of being a Stanley Cup winner. Well, Craig, before we let you go, uh, you, you mentioned uh, McAvoy and signed. That's been uh, for three months now all the talk here in town when it comes to the Bruins uh, since the Cup Final anyway. As a former GM, uh, what is Don Sweeney going through right now? And, and, and they signed... Some pretty reasonable deals, including with Pasternak. Are they banging their heads against the wall here to try to get him on a bridge deal or something reasonable? Should they just write the check for $8 million a year? I think what's happened is, is we have this group of restricted free agents. You know, we, we know about the forward group, and there probably hasn't been as, uh, as much talk about Charlie McAvoy and Brandon Carlo and Zach Lorensky and Ivan Provorov, you know, who, who, who are in their own right you know, create a different climate in the NHL. I, I think that we're headed to a, a shorter-term uh, contract template because it's really tough to find the value long-term uh, with the players. And, and we see that with, with contracts that have been signed. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, with the number of players, the forwards and defensemen in the group, you know, everybody's trying to balance it out. Like, do, do we go short-term? Do we go long-term? I think it's really hard to go long-term. I, I, I think when you look at Nathan McKinnon and you look at uh, Mark Scheifele, who both signed contracts out of entry level, even David Pasternak, who, who clearly have outperformed their contracts, that, that it leaves the next group of players and, and their agents sitting back and go, whoa, you know what, unless you're going to give us a big number on a long-term contract, we're going to go short-term. And I, I, I think the reality of the, of the system now is that the importance of the young players on entry-level contracts and coming out of their entry-level contracts to the individual teams is significant. And you, you look at where the Boston Bruins find themselves with their two players, Braden Point in Tampa Bay, Mitch Marner in Toronto, I and mean, this is a highly competitive division. 
and you ask yourself, you know, where you'll be without those players. Well, does Boston want to play game seven against Toronto on home ice or do they want to go to Toronto? And I think that that becomes a real significant, uh, you know, understanding of how important these players are to your team. And I think teams are trying to trying to understand, you, you, you know, what the marketplace is, but they know how important the players are to their team. So I, I, I think this is a league-wide uh, issue. And I think that, you know, it's still only the middle of August or getting towards the third week of August now where, you know, teams are trying to figure out, you know, what that dollar figure looks like. Is it going to be a bridge deal? Is it going to be a little bit longer term? One thing I'll add, Matthew signed for five years. Aho got the offer sheet for five years. Timo Meyer in San Jose signed a four-year deal with a big qualifying offer coming out of it in the, in the potential unrestricted free agency. So I think there's some yard markers, but everybody everybody wants to be pushed to the higher yard marker, not the lower one, and I think that becomes a challenge for the teams. Always fun talking with you, Craig. Thanks for being generous with the time, and uh, really appreciate it. Thanks yeah, a lot, thank Craig. you. Craig Button is the man. I always love hearing him talk, whether it's prospects or the NHL. And yeah. He's talking about yard markers. Uh, <laughs> I still think, look at McAvoy, it's Ekblad, eight for well, 60. Those are the yard markers yeah. his agent's looking well, at. Well, first of all, what you're saying about Craig is, is amazing. I think, you know, you, you know, I'm pretty discerning about who I trust when I watch on TV or read stuff, and he's definitely one of the ones when he comes on you just the know air. You, the you stop in, and you right? listen to what he's exactly. He's not BS. And he's the fact the, that he's able to cover the NHL as it's going on and the prospect just blows my mind because I actually read the Hockey News draft preview like three weeks after the draft you know i don't have time to, it's unbelievable that you keep up with this stuff but yeah i think that this eight this uh what he's saying about the, the length and maybe shorter deals is interesting and I, it's kind of it's kind of crazy that we all have these different opinions of whether it's better to go long term or short term whether it's the player or the team making the decision but at what point are they going to agree on this at what point are these players and teams going to say okay we're either going to give you a, a decent now out now short term and then worry about it three years down on your own four years or are they going to say, we'll give you the 10, 10 times 8 just to make sure you're covered and don't look bad five years from now? But this is unbelievable. that this, We're coming down to almost September, and these guys aren't signed. Well, uh, it's coming soon. Uh, we've got September right around the corner, Matt, and uh, we'll do it again next Wednesday here yep. on the Skate Podcast. Don't forget to leave a pleasant review if you can. If not, at least subscribe on iTunes, at the Skate Pod on Twitter, and uh, keep those numbers surging. Matt Cowan, I'm Ken Laird. See you next time.